Hello, you're listening to episode three of In Good Will. It's a podcast where I, Marshall Bolin, and Stephen Douglas have conversations. I'm a progressive, he's a conservative. What are we doing having conversations? What we're trying to do is listen to each other and ultimately to make life better for each other if we can. It's not always easy to try to hear the needs behind somebody's positions that are different from your own, but we think it's important to try. We're trying to model the kinds of conversations that we wish we heard in Congress, in the media, and in the world at large. We're recording these episodes over Zoom conferences, and there's some limitations in the audio. As I was editing today's episode, about halfway through, I realized there's some kind of annoying noise, and I wish I could edit it out. I tried to edit it out as much as I could when it was between words, but sometimes it overlapped with the dialogue. I just really like the dialogue in some of those sections where the noise is happening, so I decided to keep it in. I don't know what it is. It sounds like one of us has some coins in our hand and we're nervously jingling them. Whatever it is, I'm very sorry, and we'll try not to do it in the future. I hope you agree with me that it was worth keeping those sections because of their content. Okay, enjoy the conversation. Well, I think what we talked about for this episode was um, kind of... uh tentatively diving into the election and some of the politics. Um, And that is a place where there's a lot of division. Uh, There's a lot of strong feelings um, in our culture, um, things that are deeply rooted, deeply held. And uh, there's a lot of frustration and kind of painting of the other side uh, with broad brushstrokes and, uh, what I've enjoyed about talking with you, Marshall, is is we find a lot of nuance um, in yes. our conversations, and um, uh, we we may hold to our particular political perspectives, but I think there's also a lot of willingness to say, hmm, well, there are some good points on the other side too, and let's discuss. Um, yes. And so hopefully we can do some of that today. Um, and so maybe I would just uh, ask you, Marshall, like, how do you feel about the election? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I I feel tentatively relieved. I, I don't know if there's going to be any blowback or further political chaos. I was happy that the the week turned out to be kind of anticlimactic after the storming of the Capitol. And I hope it stays anticlimactic uh, just in terms of violence. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who, like we were starting to say at the end of the last episode, are feeling like their culture is under threat and that uh, they they don't hear any respect for themselves. They don't hear any voices saying, we, we care about you. And I don't want to leave those voices unacknowledged. I was just worried that we were going to have some, uh, you know, military coup and whatever the um, reaction to that would be. And it it was going to be a real mess. It it seems to me like it's less of a mess than it could have turned out to be. I'm actually eager to get back to 
criticizing, <laughs> to critiquing the status quo. <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm not happy about Joe Biden in particular. Uh, I wanted Bernie Sanders. I, I wanted him back in 2016. Or this time I would have wanted Andrew Yang. To me, a lot of what's preventing us from being able to care each other, to care about each other, are the rules by which money works. And I see uh, Joe Biden as kind of representing uh, a watered-down approach to progressivism, and I'm just not not convinced that we can get this country to a state where where the people at the bottom of the financial ladder feel like their life is possible. Uh, right now, I feel like we live in as my friend put it, uh, a fiction that life is theoretically affordable for every person. I think maybe that is possible, but not with the kind of money system that we have. I wanted the whole nation to be like, yeah, um, I'm tired of wages stagnating for two decades. Uh, meanwhile, the, the wealthiest just get super rich. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about Trump um, and sort of like being a little concerned that there might have been a, a tyrannical, almost dictator kind of situation with him. That was my worry. Yeah. And I never thought at all that that would ever be a possibility until the last couple of weeks. And, and so just his unwillingness to concede, his unwillingness to even give a possibility that he would be out of office, just his dragging of feet. And then, uh, you know, I, I don't buy in. I, I think it's very politicized about uh, what he had said leading to the unrest at the, uh, the Capitol. I personally don't put as much stock in that. But... It certainly, the way he approached that wasn't helpful. I've never seen a president who failed to speak clearly in those situations, and he failed to speak clearly. And that wasn't helpful in the situation. I don't know that it led to it, but it certainly didn't stop it. I kind of view him now as somebody who was willing to stand back and watch what was happening and see if it would go into his favor which is not healthy or helpful. Um, and so that was the time when I really felt truly concerned. Yeah. And you're right that I don't, I don't think most conservatives would want uh, a dictator. But this was the first time when I've seen conser some conservatives kind of moving that way if it was a dictator in our favor and that was very scary to me because i don't think we would want a leftist or a rightist you know and i sometimes think i skew a little bit toward libertarianism mm -hmm. um where i also kind of feel like i don't you know i've got a pretty strong moral compass and don't really feel uh like i need a lot of government oversight and government control and uh, heavy taxation and would love to see a lot of that lightened up.
Yeah. And so I think that there is a lot of overlap there, even if um, we might not agree on all the strategies. I'm not even that knowledgeable about the particular strategies, and I'm not attached to them. I just want something to happen. Um, I want the people who are growing and uh, harvesting the food to be able to make a living at it. Yeah. And the way I see it is the, the super rich have the money that belongs to those people. That's a really simplistic way of looking at it, but I think it's a good start. I mean, greed is involved. Greed, greed is a real thing. It's a real problem that somebody can get into. But one of my friends who actually is rich and uh, knows some really rich people, uh, when he was asked about the adage, uh, the, the rich get richer, mm-hmm. he, he said, well, they can't help it. And I think that's true, that the way that our money system is designed, or if it's not designed, it has evolved to become this way. It's easy to get money if you have money. And it's hard to get money if you don't have it. And to me, that's, uh, that kind of reflects like what a z- disease in a body is like. You know, when I have an injury, my body sends the resources to the injury. And we could even say that uh, the parts of my body that are the most in need have the most influence. And the way that our current culture is, uh, the people who are least in need have the most influence. And I am open to all kinds of suggestions for how we can address that and heal ourselves. I'm not attached to heavy taxation. In certain ways, I think taxing people is wrong. It's wrong to take somebody's money without them having any say in it. Uh, But I tend to vote for that kind of stuff because I'm already uh, having my life force siphoned off through just the cost of living. And to me, it would be, when I talk to friends in Scandinavian stuff, uh, Finland or whatever, Denmark, uh, they they don't seem to have a big problem with that. Uh, And the way I look at it is I spend somewhere between 80 to 100% of my income on things that uh, are socialized in other countries. And if Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do that, if I was taxed 80%, but that I didn't have to buy anything, then I would have, there, there are employers that would have less leverage over me. I wouldn't be tempted to work at jobs that uh, go against my values uh, just in order to be able to pay all the bills. So that's why I'm okay with heavy taxation, but I'm kind of excited about half the country saying hell no to that. And like the better solutions we can come up to, like a voluntary system of socialism. But we got to do it. And that's my main critique of conservatives is I hear a lot of arguments of, no, that will never work. But I don't hear the actual problem being addressed of, okay, well, what are we going to do then? Because I'm down, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, as as somebody who's conservative, um, both fiscally and morally, in many ways, traditionally, you know, I would consider myself a capitalist in the pure form of capitalism, like Adam Smith, um, you know, the unseen hand of self-interest, you know, those sorts of things. 
but I would draw a distinction between self-interest and greed. And I think that's a self-policing sort of thing. The trouble is when you get into greed and you get into cronyism and you get into political things that I really see both sides involved with. So I see both uh, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party being uh, fully complicit in the unabashed corporatism of America. Yes, I do too. And I think that that is really hard on our economy and on our populace. Um, and so you've got a few major entities that uh, basically have government contracts or government interests so that they're taxed very little or, or almost nothing. And yet they squeeze out all competition. They squeeze out the smaller people and the, the smaller businesses are taxed heavily. And so there is a disincentivization to go into business. Um, so I, I had a landscaping business and there were a lot of disincentivizing factors that went into that. There's a lot we could get into, but um, there's a lot of illegal labor in uh, the trades. Yeah. And part of it is we've created almost a slave class or an underclass uh, of especially Hispanics um, because what we do is this process of going, um, I'm going to lower the value of that job. And so then we have to find people who are willing to work for less then we basically say, well, then the job is worth less and we devalue it more. And so most white Americans won't work for that. So then we have to find people who will work for that. Well, undocumented workers will are willing to work for that. They're willing to share homes. They're, you know, all these things. Yeah. So in, in effect, we've created this underclass of people, which is a, a horrendous process. And we're squeezing them all the time. Uh, and not really paying them livable wages and not really, and, and we turn a blind eye to that. Yeah. But that is a society-wide kind of issue um, that we really need to examine. And I think that it's very disruptive to do so. But like you said, I think that money attracts money. I, I always thought it was so ironic that, um, the celebrities get all this free stuff, you know, when they, they're <laughs> right. the ones who can afford it. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, you know, because everybody wants to be like a celebrity. So if we give them free stuff, then they'll hawk our stuff and other people will go, Oh, they've got this product. I better go get that product. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and I noticed even we both, uh, were in Edina for a time. Um, I, I grew up there. Um, I, I would say I grew up there. I started okay, in yeah. seventh grade, moved there in seventh grade through high school. Yeah. And I, I got my first credit card, um, at 16, 17. Oh, wow. And, uh, um, I got a credit card that at that time was about 7% interest. And, 
I talked to other people who got credit cards around the same time that were from different areas and their their interest rate was 14%, 15%. Right. Yeah. And now of course things are much higher than that, but um but yeah. it was very interesting because of my zip code that you know and here we talk about privilege, you know, uh, because of my zip code lower interest rate on the credit card that I'd be offered right. and with the assumption that, Hey, you're from Edina, you're going to be using this a lot. And, you know, yeah. Um, and you're maybe somehow less of a risk, uh, possibly because of your family, those sorts of things. Yeah. So there are inequalities that do need to be addressed in our country. And I think that's a place where you and I would, definitely agree um and as beautiful yeah and as a believer in jesus christ that is something that the bible states is very very wrong and yes must be dealt with yeah um and so and it specifically is saying christians you need to be involved with the solution the thing where i would chafe is about socialism or socialistic, more liberal or progressive forms of government is like what you described earlier, that um, taking heavy taxes out without, I, I have no say in that. And I have no say where it goes. Yeah, And that's very frustrating to me. And giving that to maybe a cause or something that I really highly disagree with uh, or have a moral stance against. It's not that I don't want good things for my neighbors, but some of those things I might morally object to. Yeah. And so then that's very concerning to me. And so I guess I would rather it be a voluntary thing where I'm looking, and I think the Bible calls this, at least for Christians, is to look around and say, where is my neighbor in need? How can I give to that situation? How can I engage in that situation and um, have equality? Yeah. Create equality between us. And that's a voluntary thing. That's not me putting that on the next person. That's me taking it on for my own responsibility. To me, that seems like the path forward is uh, a voluntary system of socialism. That anyone can opt out if they want to. You don't have to do it. One question that that I thought might be helpful for us to discuss is kind of each other's perspectives on maybe where the other's tribe is is heading. Not that we want to. I think both of us are going to be pretty careful in not overpainting the other side. You know, uh, uh, but yeah. and I'm actually okay with you. Know. you just being frank about what you see because okay. yeah. uh, I, f- I feel like you care about my perspective and it gives me an opportunity to say, no, that that's not where I think we're heading or that's not where I sure. hope we're heading or something like that. Uh, so I'm actually curious as to what your uh, concerns are, what your worries are. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the question kind of was um, as a conservative, what are my concerns or where, where do I feel like progressivism uh, or, or liberalism maybe? Uh, and then there's maybe a distinction between those and those two at some level, but where do I see that heading and how do I feel about that? 
and and so and then i'm i'm going to invite you to ask the same question back so mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I think that as a conservative i am concerned that progressivism um right now especially might be looking for some sort of revenge um for the last four years of trump's presidency um mm. Uh, so one of the things that that kind of cues that up in me is seeing um, President Biden come in first day with, uh, you know, 17 executive orders to overturn a batch of Trump era policies. Yeah. Um, it just feels like a lot. But I know that also people have been thinking about it and he's been thinking about it. And, um, and I, I think. Trump did a lot of that when he first came in too, and overturned a lot of uh, President Obama's uh, policies too. So, uh, you know, I want to be gracious, but I'm concerned. I'm yeah. concerned that things will move very leftward and very, uh, you know, moving in a way where I, as a conservative, and I'll be frank, as a white person <laughs> and as a Christian and uh, as a male, I see my world shrink a bit. And some people might say, hey, that's a really good thing. But to me, that stings a bit. And, you know, I think about my own family and I think about um, people in my camp and I think about my church and I think about, you know, all, all of those things. Um, yeah. And I'm concerned also about heavy taxation and about plans uh, to fund this, that, and the other. and. Trump didn't help with that either. So, I mean, we've spent so much money um, uh, all the way back with uh, George Bush, uh, you know, Jr., um, George W., all the way through. Um, we've just been throwing trillions of dollars here and trillions of dollars there. And so our national debt is through the roof to the point where when they report, oh, we're going to spend another $1.7 trillion, nobody bats an eye anymore. It's just inconceivable amounts of money. And so we can't really wrap our heads around what our national debt is. But as we start to have to pay that back and taxes are increased and increased and increased, um, we will feel that. And as somebody who, you know, as we mentioned before, the difference between self-interest and greed. I don't want to be greedy. Um, I'm pretty satisfied with a lot of parts of my life, but would I like to have a little bit more of my paycheck? Uh, (laughs) Would I like to be able to care for my family a little bit better? You know, I look at the future and think about my own kids' education and wonder how I'm going to pay for that. And some people would say, oh, but they can have a free college education if we go this other route. But we still have to pay for that somehow. The cost of education is just plain astronomical. So something has to give, as you said earlier, something has to change. I'm just not sure it's pay for everything. Um, So I'm concerned about those sorts of things. And also, to be honest, Morally speaking, um, with progressivism, I I am very concerned for and aware of people who don't see the things the same way I do, 
and them being people and them needing care under the law and wanting to be fair about that. And yet I see an eroding of faith and of uh, what I consider biblical godly morals. Um, and so I'm concerned uh, again about that place of religious liberties um, versus uh, sexual liberties. And so, yeah, those things are concerning to me. Yeah. Wow. I, I hear all that. I understand that you are nervous about uh, being in a situation where uh, just participating in the system or, you know, not that you can help participating in it, but being forced to participate in a system means that you have a moral dilemma and you think uh, it's going in a direction that I don't think is right. Uh, and what can I do about it? Should I do something about it? It seems like it's going to be hard to uh, avoid dealing with it. If uh, it's built into the very laws that our country operates by. And you're concerned about money being uh, spent unscrupulously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand all that. And yeah, um, I, I worry about all those things too. I don't really think that the Biden administration is going to get us out of this situation where we have the both the, the worst of both worlds, where we pay a ton of taxes and we pay for everything. So, yeah, I mean, you were saying, I don't know if it was this episode or the previous one about uh, we're disincentivized to have our own businesses. No. And how tyrannical is that? Uh, that fits my definition of tyranny. Uh, like right now I have a business, I'm self-employed coaching clients and anything more than $400 a year, I have to pay taxes on, which means that as I'm in this stage of my business where I can't quite make a living, but I'm hoping to, then I come up with, I come up against dilemmas where I, <laughs> have to choose between paying taxes and paying, you know, paying for my needs, paying for my basic needs. Right. And I, I wish that, I, I don't even know if I've heard a discussion about that on the news. To me, it seems like a no brainer that you shouldn't owe taxes if you're under the poverty line for sure. Yeah. And, and I think in a lot of ways, um, well, I think you and I are in a slightly different place there because uh, I'm married, I filed jointly, and I have three kids. Yeah. And so I I do pay in on taxes, um, but if I were to work another kind of job other than what I'm doing, um, I probably wouldn't be paying anything. Um because of where, at, at least if at making the same rate of money, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on that, but um, <laughs> uh, at the income level, I would probably be, you know, zeroed out or getting some sort of return. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure quite where you're at. Uh, I'm, I'm on the outside. <laughs> the system mm. does not work for me. Well, I often feel like it's not working for me either. I, I often feel a little stressed and, you know, in my, my line of work, um, you know, we pay in multiple times a year rather than doing an end of the year kind of a, yeah. of a thing. And we're always paying in. There's no, um, there is no return. 
So there are times where it feels squeezing. Yeah. So um, I hear you. And uh, I don't want a world where you are edged out, where you are uh, caught in a moral dilemma, where you're forced to live by laws that go against your values and you're forced to pay taxes for things that go against your values. And uh, I also don't want, uh, I don't want to squander resources. I, I'd like to be scrupulous about how resources are spent. You know, that's a really good point, Marshall. I think uh, both of us are probably pretty concerned about good stewardship. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that I think both of us try to do a very good job of stewarding the resources we've been given. Um, and thinking about the world around us, whether it's our physical location or the relationships we've built or the amount of money that we do bring in, that that goes to good places and is used well and is meant for thriving um, as much as possible, yeah. you know, creating something that flourishes. We limp things by, you know, yeah. <laughs> I think both of us would say that, you know, mm -hmm. rather than being a throwaway kind of people. Um, my guess is both of us probably feel that way about our government, too, that we want a government that uh, stewards things well. So. Yeah, definitely. I also want to acknowledge what you said about uh, fear of revenge. Mm. And I can understand that. Um, I don't actually have my finger on the pulse of the zeitgeist, whether I think that revenge will come to pass. My progressive friends, when they're at their worst, uh, can be vindictive. And I do worry that they're uh, poised for a pendulum swing. But then on the other hand, some of those same friends would say, you're giving us too much credit. I mean, we have the worldview that we do because of being marginalized. And uh, no matter what we say or do, it's not gonna it's not going to go tilt in our favor. Um, and that brings me to a principle that I think is interesting. One of my friends who grew up in a rural area, he said like something like I'm from uh, rural South Dakota and we think that we can say whatever we want to people because we have such low self-esteem that it's never going to have any effect. <laughs> right. And I get that. That was a breakthrough for me, too, because I've been uh, so harsh and so critical and um, in-your-face, iconoclastic so much of my life. And I can see how that is related to low self-esteem and that I have had this feeling that I've got to be loud and I've, I've got to fight for what I think is right and fight for my own needs or else I'm not going to be heard. And uh, maybe that's not the case. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe I have been very heavy-handed with people a lot in my life, and maybe that has been to all of our detriments. And and could it be both? Yeah, I, I don't want to diminish that I'm actually responding to something real. Right. But my response to it uh, has been uh, maybe more extreme than would have been productive. And and I think that it can happen for both sides in this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, both on an individual-to-individual individual basis and on a, a larger, uh, you know, we've talked about echo chambers, we've talked yeah. about broader tribal kind of groups. It can happen at that level too. 
do you have concerns uh, or worries back uh, about conservatism? I do. I'd, I just I'd have love a to message. hear that. I have a message for uh, the conservative tribe, especially oh, okay. the people who were storming the Capitol, is, yeah, uh, yeah you are powerful, and you, uh, you do have an impact. You do have an effect, and you, you have the ability to... Uh, to hurt me or to hurt somebody else and to uh, change the course of how things are going to go. And I hear you and I'm hoping that we can work things out so that uh, you get your needs met. And so do I at the same time, just in case anybody who is a part of that clan suffered like I did from low self-esteem and thinking we can do, we can do anything. We're not, it's not going to even be a big deal. I think it was a big deal. It sure frightened me. Yeah. So yeah, okay. So my turn. Um, where do I see conservatism heading? Um, I, I'm afraid of people who are who have been traditionally marginalized because of their demographic information, whether it's their sex or gender or skin color, ethnicity, whatever it is, or or even what what they care about in this life, what their interests are. I'm afraid of conservatives always responding to the worst version of those attempts to be heard about unmet needs and not responding to the legitimate voices there. So what I mean is, you know, somebody, somebody who's conservative might say, you know, you're whining, life is, life is hard and you want to be, you want everything to be easy. You want life handed to you on a silver platter. Uh, you should pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. You need to work hard. And there are people out there who are progressive. Not that there aren't conservatives, but there are progressives out there who uh, do have kind of a learned helplessness. And if we, if we followed their specific strategy that they're asking for, we would run into trouble. But I'm afraid of conservative politics only ever responding to those um, strategies that are probably unworkable and not ever saying, hey, I, I do hear that you have been marginalized in some way, and I do see that you work hard. And uh, you don't have as much to show for it as you would if we had a more equitable system of exchange even though i i have my critique of the anti-racist movement at the moment the legacy of slavery is real and it has to be dealt with and if we don't deal with it it's it's still operating you know if if i have an advantage just because of our history of having white skin and being advantaged because of that then then we haven't ended slavery and uh, whatever our approach to it is, is probably going to be messy. And I don't want to shut down the, the project of trying to heal, trying to restore from the legacy of slavery, even though maybe it, it will be unfair tipped the other way in some certain ways. Maybe none of us are going to be able to think of a perfect solution where we somehow e- e- even the scales, but 
there's no casualties in any sense. I don't want there to be any casualties. I mean, yeah, I'm a white man. Maybe I could stand to suffer in some way from that, but I'm willing to if it means that we do something about the problem. Uh, so I'm afraid of conservatism not addressing problems simply because some of the voices that are speaking up for those problems are problematic in the way that they're speaking up about the problems. So I guess what I'm hearing you say is, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that conservatives haven't done a good enough job of listening to the real needs and that they grab onto um, the the kind of uh, sensational sorts of things and then say, well, that's just a no-go, so we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And um, I think there's some validity to that. Uh, I've seen that too. And so, like you said, I think that there are things that need to be addressed and and we need to actually have a conversation, uh, which is why I'm glad at least you and I are having this conversation. Hopefully others can join that conversation too. Uh, I think you're right that, um, that we can address that. Uh, you know, a response back might be, I'm a little concerned that it becomes tit for tat. Um, yeah. the shoe on the other foot, slavery is awful. Uh, I, I mean, we can both agree on that. And yet it's so convenient for us to say that as white men. Yeah. Right. Um, having some distance and I can look back and I don't know all of my family history, but the family history I do know, there hasn't been any slave ownership. At the same time, does that mean I don't benefit, haven't benefited, or my family hasn't benefited from, you know, slavery in some sense? It's just how do we address those real concerns and real needs and move toward real, true equality uh, in in both institutional ways and in individual ways? And I think for a large part, that really starts with us. It starts right here, um, the way that I look at other people, the way that I am concerned for other people and who my friends are, who, yeah. you know, who I choose to um, connect with. And, and do I have compassion in that? And do uh, am I mindful of those things? And certainly I've, I've been very glad for friends in my life who have pointed out like, Steve, we need you to open your eyes to some of these things um, oh. and uh, consider the real effects that not just slavery that happened back then has had, but Jim Crow and some of the, the things that because of the length of the legacy continually have rippling effects um, coming up to our present time and may still have some effects going forward into the future. Um, and we're asking for things to be truly done about that. Yes. And that's a totally valid concern. Um, and it's not just about race. So there are other areas where that's true too. So, so I think that there's some validity to that uh, concern and we never want to create straw men, right? We don't right. want to set up a falsehood just to knock it down. Um, yeah. That's bad <laughs> that's bad philosophy it's bad rhetoric yeah. it's bad connection you know it's just yeah talk and that's where we can talk past each other yeah so yeah i think that there's 
there's validity to that. I kind of think that in a conflict, all arguments are straw men arguments. Because when you're in a mm-hmm. conflict, you're not in debate mode uh, where arguments can be more or less valid. But when you're in a conflict, somebody's got uh, a need that's not being heard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you uh, if you say, oh, you're wrong, there's still left with the unheard need and uh, you're not going to recover. You're not going to heal from that until those needs are heard. So uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for hearing me. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested in solutions to these things too. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, con- I feel that I'm conservative. I also am an evangelical Christian. I think scripture tells us that we need to be concerned for other people, um, uh, for our neighbor. And that's an important aspect. And so I guess, um, if I had a message for, um, for people out there, I, th- I would say, I think it's just really important that we have these kinds of conversations that we're open to talking with people who see things differently than us and be willing to listen and be willing to actually move past surface arguments to what are the felt needs like you mentioned, Marshall. So we can come together uh, over things when we have empathy for one another, when we put e- ourselves in each other's shoes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. see each other's lived experience. Definitely, yeah. What I know from conflict resolution is that these issues that we're in conflict over, it's never about the solution. Like, well, conflict resolution is not about finding a solution. When you can get to the point where all parties are able to say, here's, here's the needs I think I'm hearing from you, and then the other person says, yes, yeah, I feel heard. From that point on, it's not usually hard to find a solution. But we, we get hung up on thinking, oh, these people have incompatible needs. And we're not, you know, we've got to come up with some kind of creative solution. And we're just not smart at, at devising it. But once people feel heard, they are more willing to extend themselves than they are when they don't feel heard. They're more willing to collaborate and some of their needs become less important in that moment Uh, people become willing to bend more that's a really good point too because i think that sometimes what both sides are concerned about is the other side isn't willing to bend yeah and so if i bend then i'm actually going to lose out um yeah and i'm gonna be the precedent saying that you can strong arm me and it will work. And so if we approach it that way, neither one of us is going to bend and we are going to build those walls and we are going to fight each other. Um, And that just isn't, it's not going to lead us forward. No. Um, You know, do you mind if I read something? Um, Please do. so, So there's a, there's a, Christian author and philosopher uh, by the name of A.J. Swoboda. And uh, now I think he moves a little toward progressive Christianity. Uh, (laughs) But um, I think that what he says here is really, really helpful. Uh, And he said, we Christians now live in an environment where I am not permitted to find any political party that can both save the lives of the unborn 
and in which the lives of children at the border matter. There's no political party that will allow me to say that we should care for creation and that we need to care for other human beings and the economy. There is no political party that I know of that will simultaneously hold to sexual holiness and biblical views around sexuality and also look at gay and lesbian people in the face and speak to them with dignity, basically offer them dignity as people who should have respect and love. So it feels like I'm two different people. I cannot be who I am because I live in a system that cannot allow me to fully embrace the kingdom of God. And to embrace God's kingdom is to care about the things God seems to really care about in the Bible. And that will always offend the lines that we divide between what it means to be conservative and liberal. I think that being Christian now means that you are a politically homeless person. Mm. And sometimes I'll admit, I feel a little that way. Yeah. Well, I know that Jesus himself felt homeless too. So that tracks, but wouldn't it be great if we could create a world where somebody is living as ethically as they can and they, they don't feel cast out? I think we can agree on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that I feel myself contracting at is the idea of sexual holiness and that my ideas about that, of, of what constitutes healthy and good and acceptable sexuality might be different from yours or that author's. Sure. I mean, I think there are a lot of people in our Twin City metropolitan area here who come from rural areas. It was, it was a small ground, uh, small town where there weren't a lot of varying options of people that you can associate with. And people who are gay, who grow up in that kind of environment, especially if they had a rigidly religious family, their, their self-esteem is under threat. And they're being told that they are wrong for how they know themselves to be. That's huge for me. Um, and I'm not really sure what to do that, about that because I, I do care what you're... Uh, if you're saying I'm, I'm concerned for... The, the well-being of humanity. And I think that some people are making a decision sexually that is bad for them, it's bad for everybody. Um, I want to listen and I want to have a dialogue, but I'm, I'm really not sure what it looks like to move forward on that. Yeah, I, I totally get that. To me, the, the stakes are really high. Um, yeah. Because if you, if you do tell somebody that there's something wrong with being gay, and it turns out that that's incorrect, that there isn't anything wrong with being gay, then you are subjecting somebody to abuse. You're saying, it's almost like um, saying, you know, it, it's wrong to, to go to the bathroom or something like that. Your, your natural processes are wrong. And the, the, the damage that can come, especially from telling us a young person that, is significant. So I, I worry about that. Sure. And I think that, uh, like you said, we'll probably have to put that into a different episode. I think it would be worth the conversation. We talked earlier about form and function. Um, 
and putting form before function uh, when it comes to faith, when it comes to thinking through spirituality and whatnot. And how if we put form in front of function, um, we do a lot of damage and we create idols. And I think there's been a lot of that surrounding sexuality. And yet I think that we have some biblical constraints when it comes to human sexuality. What the Bible is saying is that God has created in a certain way. And he has an intention behind that. And so he is expecting human conformity to that. Now, how we approach that conformity, now that is a place where we need to have a conversation because I can say that and I can say it in a really damaging, hostile, condemning sort of way, or we can have a much richer conversation and kind of look at what, what is God's design and why? What's the why behind it? And what is he intending for us? And again, we may not come to a final agreement and, and you know, that sort of thing, but at least I would want people who are coming at it from an atheistic or, or progressive approach to at least understand a better understanding of, of the biblical viewpoint, which even many Christians don't seem to really fully comprehend themselves. They just say, I just know this is somehow wrong. And so I'm just opposed to even having a conversation. And that's not helpful. Uh, we need to be willing to enter in to a place of compassion and also into a place of saying, um, why? Yeah. Um, and, and examine and, and not say, hey, you being other is wrong. And it, it's a matter of tribal, you know, otherness versus sameness. It's not about that. Um, it, there are other reasons. And so I think that that probably is worth a, a different episode. I do, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe now is a good time to end with our final question. Okay. Um, yeah, well, why don't you go ahead? We were going to do, um, what is my message for my own tribe for mm. progressives? Yeah. What I would love to see is, uh, more of, a, an eagerness to self critique from progressives in general. There's a lot of overlap with what is meant by progressive and science. Uh, typically, scientists lean progressive as far as I've observed. And I would love to see more of that love for being wrong that science is built on. Uh, with science, you don't start with a foregone conclusion. You start with a hypothesis and then you try to prove it wrong. And you're excited when you figure out that it's wrong. And so what I'd, I'd love is for progressives to start with the hypothesis that our ideas for how we should move ahead are good ones. And we should really put those to the test and we should welcome anybody who challenges them and says, no, those aren't very good ideas. 
because that will help us to refine what the real good ideas are. I'm tired of seeing progressives act in such similar ways that they are frustrated and angry with conservatives for acting. And we have the intelligence to address harm without creating new harm. Uh, I've heard my friend here say he's worried about being on the receiving end of uh, sweeping revenge for some broad cultural war that's going on. And I would love to avoid revenge. Revenge leads to more revenge, and it's not necessary. We can speak up for our needs without saying to somebody else, yeah, I want your needs to go unmet. That's what revenge is, is saying, I only believe that I can be heard if you experience the pain that you have caused me. Yeah, I I think uh, I would echo a lot of that in my message to my conservative tribe um, is to say that uh, we, I would love to see us be better listeners um, and to also not create straw men uh, or also to pursue a course of revenge. Um, or to, to honestly, I'm concerned about concepts of culture war. And, and I would say particularly to Christian conservatives that that's not our place, um, that our place is in seeking peace and our place is in seeking the good of all people um, and the good of the land in which we find ourselves um, all while honoring our Lord Jesus. And so I, I want us to, you know, maybe argue better and fight less. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We need a new way forward. We need a new way of communicating. And so my hope is that this conversation will have some use in that. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you as always. And and you, Marshall. And uh, I'm so glad for this. Yeah, me too. We'll we'll see you all again on the next episode. Thanks for listening.